You're listening to Liberation News, the newspaper of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Hello, comments and friends. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We got a small crowd, but really two important and powerful presentations lined up, so I'm excited. So, on March 1st, 1954, Lolita Lebron and her fellow Puerto Rican nationalist comrades, Rafael Cancel Miranda, Irving Flores, and Andres Figueroa Correo, calmly entered the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., into the chamber of the House of Representatives, which was in session. Lolita gave the order, and her comrades unfurled the Puerto Rican flag as she stood up and shouted, Que viva Puerto Rico Libre! And within seconds, they opened fire on U.S. Congress. Doña Lolita, as she is known in Puerto Rico, became a nationalist hero in 1954 when she led and organized this assault on U.S. Congress with her comrades in the fine act against the scourge of U.S. colonialism in Puerto Rico. The poverty, violence, and exploitation our people have endured for 500 years of colonization. Five congressmen were wounded in the attack, and all four nationalists were immediately arrested. Knowing that this act would bring worldwide attention to the struggle of Puerto Rico, the mass media quickly launched a campaign to demonize the Puerto Rican independence movement. But Lolita was not intimidated. She stated to the press, I am not sorry. I am not sorry to come and demand freedom for my country in any place. As she had written on a note in her purse on the day of the attack, my life I give for the freedom of my country. This is a cry for victory in our struggle for independence. The United States of America is betraying the sacred principles of mankind in their continuous subjugation of my country. The four were soon convicted and given life sentences. The boldness and militancy of this action reflected the harshness and brutality of the colonial administration had imposed upon the people of Puerto Rico. Following the example of the Anti-Communist Smith Act in the U.S., which was meant to ban socialist and communist organizing in the 30s and 40s, the Puerto Rican Senate passed the GAD law, also known as Le de la Moraza. This banned the printing, publishing, and distributions of any materials in protest of the Puerto Rican government. It was illegal to fly the Puerto Rican flag, sing the national anthem, or discuss the idea of Puerto Rico's independence. These acts would be punishable for 10 years in prison or more. The U.S. government's pushed to establish Puerto Rico as a commonwealth in order to put a facade of democracy over their imperialist plundering. The Nationalist Party mobilized for revolution under the leadership of Don Pedro Alviso Campos, a really well-known nationalist leader who also, he didn't like openly call himself a Marxist, but he had socialist politics. On October 28th, in the Oso Blanco Penitentiary in Rio Piedras, Prisoners rose up against their guards in captivity, escaping into the night. Nationalists took over towns, rebelling against the local police and raising Puerto Rican flags to replace the U.S. flag. There were full-scale uprisings in Utiaro and Huayuya. The latter was organized and led by the Nationalist Party member, Blanca Canales, who joined the party in 1931 and was an active member of the Women's Branch. Blanca kept an arsenal of weapons and ammunition and hosted Nationalist Party meetings and members in her home. On October 30th, 1950, Canales and her group entered the town of Guayuya, waving the outlawed Puerto Rican flag, and took over the police and telephone stations. She led the group to the town's plaza where she raised the Puerto Rican flag and declared Puerto Rico to be a republic. 
Wainuya was under the nationalist control for three days until it was recaptured by the Puerto Rico National Guard. The nationalists surrendered on November 1st, and Canales was arrested and charged with killing a police officer and wounding three others. She was also accused of burning down the local post office and was sentenced to 60 years in prison, essentially a death sentence at her age of 46. In June 1951, she was sent to Alderson Federal Prison Camp in Alderson, West Virginia, the same prison to which Lolita Libron would be sent to in 1954, three years later. During the upsurge of radical movements in the 60s and 70s in Puerto Rico and the U.S., more and more people raised the demand for the immediate release of the four um, nationalists as political prisoners and combatants in a just war of self-determination. In 1967, Canales was given full pardon by the Puerto Rican governor after a really long campaign to free her, an international campaign to free Lolita, which gained steam with the diplomatic and political support of revolutionary Cuba, paid off in 1979 when President Jimmy Carter granted amnesty to Lolita and the other nationalists after they spent 24 years in prison. And both women stayed active in the fight for Puerto Rican women's liberation until their deaths. These times of the 60s and 70s also carried the birth of some of the most influential and revolutionary organizations of working and oppressed people here in the U.S., including the Young Lords Party. The Young Lords were originally a gang made up of poor and working Bodhiwa youth in the streets of Chicago, but over time it became political. The Marxist Party organized free breakfast programs, political education classes, and campaigned for adequate health care and housing in the poorest communities. As it grew nationally, the party was rife with machismo and even implemented a blatantly patriarchal structure to its leadership. The party advocated for quote-unquote revolutionary machismo in its program, whatever that means. Women who made up almost half of the organization met for months in their own caucus and withheld sexual relations from the men in the party until their demands were ratified by the all-male central committee in the June of 1970, which included removing the revolutionary machismo point from the party program. Women like Denise Oliver, the first woman Central Committee member, and Iris Morales as education captain and later the Minister of Economic Justice, struggled within the party's ranks to achieve leadership positions and advance the party's line on women and patriarchy. The women of the Young Lords created a reproductive justice agenda that connected socialist politics with the struggles against racism and sexism. They demanded rights including legal abortion and contraception, an end to forced sterilization, prenatal and postnatal care for poor women, and affordable daycare. The Women's Caucus was one of the first to report on the exploitation of Puerto Rican women. Puerto Rican women were tested with birth control pills and were forced. Some women were actually forced, like the, the women in the medical school at the UPR were literally forced to take birth control or they would be kicked out of the program by U.S. pharmaceutical companies. And a lot of women ended up having like really severe reactions to the birth control pill, like depression. A lot of women in the trials like, ended up killing themselves and had like a really long-lasting um, impact on their reproductive and, and physical health. And they publicly condemned the sterilization campaigns that were targeted towards Boricua women in the 50s in Puerto Rico and in the U.S. And the caucus developed their own revolutionary feminist publication called La Luchadora. The Women's Caucus also created the roots for the creation of a gay and lesbian caucus, working with legendary Puerto Rican trans rights activist Sylvia Rivera. And leading young lord Iris Morales wrote about a time a comrade said that there was not enough resources to organize both women and workers, to which she replied, our struggle is a class struggle. The members of the Women's Union are workers, homemakers, students, and unemployed. 
We understand these words bring truth to this day, especially as women in Puerto Rico and in diaspora continue to struggle to access the basic needs and rights like affordable housing, quality education, and comprehensive health care. This fight was intensified greatly in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria, which destroyed so much of the nation's already depleted infrastructure, and the PROMESA bill signed into law by Obama, which handed over control of the Puerto Rican economy to La Junta, an, elected, an unelected fiscal board of multimillionaires, mostly white Americans, who now have complete, unchecked, undemocratic control over the Puerto Rican government. Around 50% of Boricuas living on the archipelago, because it's not actually an island, there's like multiple islands on around Puerto Rico, including Vegas. And they, they've survived below the poverty line, around 50% of Boricuas, and the deplorable unemployment rate is slightly below 10%. And hundreds of thousands live still without reliable and consistent electricity, and many are still homeless. The aftermath of Maria has led to a huge increase of suicides and depression. And there is this bullshit quote-unquote recovery work of FEMA and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which has been slow-moving and wasteful of millions of tax dollars and resources. I'm sure people can just recall the images of all the rotting age packages, big packages of water that just broke and were left out in the wind and out in the rain and never ended up making it to the people. The harsh austerity measures imposed on Puerto Rico, especially post-Maria, have resulted in the closing of hundreds of public schools and hospitals. The struggle to stop the privatization of public schools and protect funding for the University of Puerto Rico has sparked a major movement of teachers led by women and allies. Now, similar to the teachers' movements we've seen here across the states, the fight of PR has grown on the backs of women who make up majority of this profession. And the slogan of the major strike, including teachers, which happened on International Women's Day of last year, was Si paramos, el país se diente. If we, the women, stop, the nation stops. Last week on International Women's Day, a coalition of feminist groups organized a huge demonstration for women's rights and against the colonial junta in San Juan. Just more pictures and students um, protesting. Two students have been really involved in the fight to protect their education system in PR2. And then that's the rally I'm talking about just last week. One protester declared on a bullhorn, this March 8th, we demand that the prices be paid for by the real people responsible, the rich, the government, and the banks referring to the quote-unquote fiscal crisis on the island, which we know is a result of just the billions of dollars that have been stolen and plundered by U.S. banks and corporations. Hundreds of protesters gathered outside of the U.S. state building to denounce the imperialist oppression of the U.S., and protesters also called for the release of Boricua political prisoner Nina Dros, a UPR student art teacher who is serving a five-year sentence on outrageous and fake charges of attempting to light a government building on fire during the massive Mayday general strike in 2017. And she was like an actress too, so like she there's like a big, still a big campaign on the island in the diaspora to free her. Um, there are still multiple women political prisoners in UPR, but I just I totally feel bad. I just want to highlight her case. Lolita Lebron's uh, legendary declaration during her arrest, I did not come here to kill, I came here to die for my country, captures the fire that had burned within her, Blanca Canales, Isis Morales, Dennis Oliver, Nina Droz, and all of the Puerto Ricans standing up to U.S. colonialism today. From the streets of San Juan and Guayuya to the South Bronx and Chicago, Puerto Ricans stand on the shoulders of giants. The struggle today against debt, privatization, and austerity is the struggle of a colony to free itself from the tentacles of a violent and unjust system. And we understand that the same struggles are experienced by colonizing working people all around the world. 
And as we commemorate this International Women's Day, we must remember the women who came before us and take the lessons learned in fighting for a world of justice, prosperity, and peace that we deserve. We need socialism to overcome all barriers and make this world a reality. We must understand that our liberation will take a revolution within a revolution, as we saw with the women who struggled with the Young Lords Party and still dealt with all that sexism and all those problems. But we understand that the basis of our freedom is destroying the system of capitalism, which continues to exploit our planet and our people. We have no choice but to struggle, and we must build a mass movement to fight for our most basic human needs, while also sharpening our political understanding of the root of women's oppression. That way, as we are fighting back, we are also fighting forward toward overcoming that oppression and toward building a society based on the liberation of women and humanity in general. Palante, siempre palante, forward, always forward. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can read more at liberationnews.org. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker, and other podcast platforms. And follow us on social media at PSL Web.